Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I'm 57. I come from a family that's very diehard Republican, and it doesn't matter who's elected. It drives me up a wall that the Democrats have put so much money into these far-right, uh, you know, Republican candidates. He's, he's just way too extreme, and it's just, he's just so off-putting. I've been a Republican for 45 years. We don't like the government up in our business. Don't reverse Roe versus Wade. That's about control. It's about controlling women. But I also was kind of upset about what President Biden did recently. He forgave all the loans. And I really scrimped and I saved and I sacrificed my my home, my car. I drove a crappy car for years and I paid my loans. And I'm really angry about that. It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright, and welcome to the show. All of those voices you just heard were from voters and focus groups held in key states in recent weeks. Their focus groups convened by Sarah Longwell, who is publisher of The Bulwark. She's been listening to voters in these groups throughout this whole election cycle. And in each one, she collects a distinct group, Democratic voters, dyed-in-the-wool MAGA voters, and then this third fascinating group, the modern-day swing voter, which for Sarah is someone who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and then Joe Biden in 2020. And we had Sarah Longwell on way back at the start of the primaries, so we brought her back now for our final show before Election Day uh, to check in on these focus groups. So, Sarah, hey again. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And just so listeners understand, you do have a particular interest here. You, you're Yes, you're doing this work for your podcast at The Bill Work, which, by the way, is called The Focus Group. Uh, so the name describes it. Uh, but also, you were and still are one of the founding members of this movement of Republicans and conservatives who tried to stop Trump's takeover of the party uh, and who are now thinking about how to just counter MAGA and the election lies more generally. Is that a fair way to describe your your mission here? Oh, yeah, that's fair. I mean, we are we're in these races. I mean, I have campaigns running in a lot of these swing states trying to defeat these anti-democracy Republicans. And so one of the main reasons I do the focus groups um, besides the fact that I really want people to hear what people are saying, uh, is to understand what is motivating people and to understand how to best persuade them in these moments. Yeah. yeah. And and so with that in mind, one of the big and maybe alarming to you takeaways uh, from these months and months of focus groups you've been doing is that the swing voters, again, these are the people who went from Trump to Biden, uh, over the course of this past year, more and more of them have told you that they regret that choice. Why, why do they say that? Yeah, you know, in the beginning, so shortly after Biden was elected and in the months after, they never regretted their votes. Like, I always talk to swing voters all the time, and even though they weren't that happy with how things are going, this was around sort of Delta, Afghanistan, um, you know, they still 
were they didn't regret it. They could were glad that mm-hmm. Donald Trump, somebody described him as a car alarm that had been going off <laughs> and that someone had finally shut it off. And they like just that relaxation was still with people. But in the last, you know, this back half here, the last eight months or so, mm-hmm. uh, we've seen a lot of backsliding. People, now not everybody, and and probably not even a majority, you just hear more people saying they regret their vote. You hear more people saying if Trump ran again, they'd vote for him this time. And the reason is, um, you know, there's, among all the groups, pretty uniformly, there's just a ton of pessimism. Um, mm-hmm. And and I would say, certainly in the MAGA groups uh, and the Trump voting groups, there's a lot of catastrophizing, you know. Uh, and people talk across the political spectrum about things like gas prices, uh, housing prices, uh, the inflation and what it costs to go to the grocery store. Um, if you listen to people, you know, the they are reacting to the, the just the what everything costs. And that mm-hmm. is the thing that is dominating um, not their votes, actually, but their sense of how things are going in the country, which is they think it's going badly. Yeah. And do they regret Biden specifically? Are they like, you know what? This was the wrong choice. It's not. I mean, it's. I think it's just. Yeah. I mean, I guess yes, because that was their choice. And <laughs> right. so these were. Um, these were. So and and it, you know, it's actually there's two types of voters that we think of as as kind of there were people who went for Biden, who went for Trump in 16, and then Biden in 20, and then there's people who just didn't vote for Trump in 20. Like they voted mm-hmm. for him in 16, but they went third party or they they wouldn't cast the vote for either of them. We get a fair number of those people. And I would actually say it's the latter category, the third party voters, the people who just didn't vote, who now feel like, well, things are really bad and I should have voted for yeah. Trump because look how things are going. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, to be fair, everybody, this is, this is a, as you said, this is across voters. There is a lot of fear and concern about where we stand right now. Would you say that that pessimism you're describing is, is that different than the, you know, we've heard pessimism from voters for a long time now, you know, I mean, is it of a qualitative difference this time around that you've been hearing or is it just sort of this is what happens? Yeah, you know, it's it's it, that's a good question. And, and in some ways, like things were this is how people were talking before, too, because for a lot of the focus group time I've been doing them, we were in covid. Right. And people were miserable during right. COVID, you know, and they thought things were going terribly. Uh, and and back then, I mean, uh, the stories that people would tell of the depression and their families or yeah. not being able to go to funerals, the loss, um, you know, their kids being out of school, the, you know, the, the, the things parents were dealing with. And so I can't say that I have had a period of time. And, and then even prior to that, a lot of the groups I was talking to going into um, – you know, Trump's reelection. I was also talking to a lot of people that I would have said were persuadable Trump voters. Mm-hmm. So, so people who had voted for Trump but rated him as doing a very bad job, and so they were also always unhappy because they didn't like Trump and didn't like that they voted for him. So, I think it's fair to say that people have been sort of unhappy now <laughs> for a long stretch of time. Um, but I think that the big difference that people kind of, where they look back, if if they have regret. They'll tell you a lot of it is the economy. They were like, yeah, you know, he was a jerk and I couldn't stand him, but at least the economy was doing well uh-huh. and my 401k and the market. And that's the kind of thing that yeah. people people will say. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and can we just talk about why this group of voters matters? I mean, y- you know, like beyond the horse race of it all, because in the political media, I feel like, you know, we uh, I, we all often, very often fetishize a group of voters, particularly like as we run up to Election Day. And this is a relatively small group of people we're talking about, actually. So to you, why just spell out like why this is such an important group of people. Yeah, so there's lots of different types of swing voters. You know, for a lot of people, there are Obama-Trump voters, which tend to be white um, working class voters. But for us right now, and and like I said, when I was thinking about persuasion going into 2020 and how I would persuade sort of Trump voters to not vote for him again, I was talking to people who voted for him but rated him as doing a very bad job. And so then that was our target audience. Mm -hmm. Our target audience this time are the Trump uh, 16, Biden 20 voters because those are the people who were decisive in the last election, Mm. right? So these are the people who put Biden over the top. And if you assume, as happened in in 2020, that both parties are essentially able to turn out their people, then you've got to fight for these swing voters. Mm -hmm. Now, these swing voters, though, that this category of them that we're talking to right now, the Democrats need to hold on to because they're the ones who put Joe Biden over the edge by those narrow margins in the swing states, which is where the competitive, you know, races are right now, these voters are actually sort of center right, which mm-hmm. is the the problem, I think, for Democrats is a lot of them, you know, they voted for Trump the first time because they thought of themselves as Republicans and they sort of liked that he was a businessman and they were willing to take a shot on him. But then and, and they're also they're not like these white working class Trump Obama voters. They tend to be more college educated suburban voters that are the kinds of people that are kind of trending blue. They're sort of trending more Democrat these days. But because there's a political realignment, a trade going on where, you know, more of these white working class voters, these mm-hmm. Obama Trump voters, they are more and more culturally aligned with sort of the magnification of the Republican Party. Right. And so to Democrats, they need to pick up these college educated suburban sort of swing voters this time. And with these very Trumpy candidates, that's kind of the target that I think people are vote are fighting over. You know, Mitch McConnell they really want to put back their coalition of suburban voters <laughs> right. uh, with rural voters. And so that's kind of who we're fighting for in places like Arizona, in places like Georgia, where Herschel Walker and Carrie Lake and Blake, you know, these are very Trumpy candidates. And so as much as these these folks tend to be center right, they also don't like MAGA candidates. Right. Mm-hmm. I always talk about them like they have this Reagan hangover. Um, Reagan where hangover? They, yeah, they're like they're like they still like limited government and free markets, and they are always like, "Man, is Paul Ryan going to run again?" Do you think? <laughs> and they just they just don't have a sense of how much the Republican Party has changed that it ain't going back to the Reagan times. Yeah, it, listeners, uh, Sarah and I can take your calls while we talk. It, I'm particularly interested if you are one of these Trump to Biden voters, or maybe you're a Republican who just can't get down with the MAGA movement in general. What's on your mind as you vote? Or, you know, we can also take anybody's questions for Sarah Longwell. Uh, and Sarah, you know, before we take a break here, one of the things that's, I think, interesting listening to your podcast is like you have on these other folks who are political professionals like yourselves. And there is something that gets lost in sort of the bedside manner <laughs> um, of the conversation, because like your, you know, your specialty in this it's kind of like listening to doctors talk about people's heart disease. And and this is like stuff that is of such 
huge consequence. And I just, I do wonder, like, are you listening to these focus groups? Are you as calm and clinical um, in your emotions as you sound and when you talk about them? Yeah, I think so. I mean, first of all, I'll, I'll tell you one of the, it is helpful. I like people and I like most of these people. Like when you talk to them for two hours every week, you know, even tough sort of Trump voters will talk about how they, take care of their sick parents and how much they're worried about their kids or, um, you know, they, they volunteer at the local dog shelter. And so like, I, I understand, I get a lot of grief sometimes from people who are like, do not humanize mm-hmm. these horrible Trump voters. But, like they are humans and they are like our fellow citizens. And my job, this is the thing. People are always like, why don't you yell at them when they say things that are wrong? Or why don't you push back and tell them that their facts are wrong? And I always respond with, I want to listen to 10 people explain something to me so that I can persuade 10,000 people. Like, if I can't understand what's really going on, then I can't do the job of, of because you do have to be sort of clinical about it. If, if you're, and I think this is part of the problem, is that a lot of progressives, you know, they're, they, they, they want to fight Trump, but they don't understand the voters and how to do it. Hold that thought, Sarah. Sarah Longwell is publisher of The Bulwark. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Hey, everyone. This is Vanessa. I'm an intern. Last week, our episode was inspired by a listener named Edward who asked what someone is supposed to do when voting doesn't feel like enough to make the impact you want to see. We got a bunch of listener responses. Here's one. This is Dale from Chelsea. I did vote today early. I didn't vote yesterday because I was on a bus with volunteers going to Long Island to knock on doors. And if people are really frustrated, then they should get on bus and canvas and knock on doors instead of just voting. Thanks, Dale. This is just one of the messages we received. If you want to check out more, we're sharing a few on our Instagram page. You can find us and follow us at Notes with Kai. And if you've got something to say, send us a message. Email us. The address is notes at WNYC.org. Or record and send us a message from our website. It's notesfromamerica.org. Thanks. Talk to you soon. This is Doug calling from Monterey County, California. I am a longtime fan of Kai Wright and a longtime fan of Sarah Longwell. As a conservative, I don't know that anything is at stake for me in the midterms, and that's what troubles me so much. I have believed for many decades that an anti-racist, pro-capitalist, person is conservative and it feels like the conservative movement is now at least racist curious and anti-capitalist and I wish that these midterms were going to reveal whether my views are still conservative and I'm sorry they won't. It's Notes from America. I am Kai Wright, and I am with Sarah Longwell, publisher of The Bulwark. And Doug, thanks for your longtime support for both of us. 
Uh, Sarah, that's one of the voicemails we got from a podcast listener who uh, heard the advanced promo for this episode. And heads up to listeners, you can always leave us a voice message right on our website at notesforamerica.org. Just record it right there on the site. But Sarah, respond to Doug's despondence there in that message. What would you say to his feeling that, you know, as a conservative, there's nothing for stake at stake for him in this election? Well, I, I guess I don't quite know what he means by nothing at stake. There is a uh, great deal at stake in terms of the people that we elect in 2022, they're going to certify the election in 2024. And so to have Donald Trump on the precipice of announcing that he is going to run again, uh, to have it happen when a bunch of people that he basically anointed in their Republican primaries who owe, who who may may or may not win, uh, in the, you know, on Tuesday, mm-hmm. but if they do, they will owe him a great debt. Uh, and you know, these, many of these governors and secretaries of state who, who denied elections, they'll be in a position to certify elections going forward. So that matters a great deal. Um, I will say there's probably not a sadder group, uh, in America right now than the swing voters that I talk to, like just, they're so conflicted. The people sort of on, they are center, right. A lot of times they are moderate Republicans, uh, and they think that the Republican Party has lost its mind. They don't think that there are candidates that they can vote for. And I think for a lot of people, there's a realization that's dawning on them that I had that dawned on me, but uh, a while back. But mm-hmm. I think you can forgive people who don't do politics professionally for realizing it later that Donald Trump fundamentally changed what the Republican Party is. I think for a lot of people, I certainly thought this when I was trying to defeat Trump. Trump in 2020, I thought if you could, if Biden just like beat him by 10 points and it was a thorough repudiation of Donald Trump, that the Republican Party would see this was a mistake. A lot of, you know, and, mm-hmm. and and it would it would reform itself like the muscle, old muscle memory would kick back in. And it became very clear uh, after January 6th that Trump was uh to the extent that Trump was a cancer on the party, he had metastasized. And as you look across the 20, 2022 landscape, it's just a bunch of mini Trumps. It's just a bunch of people who are aping both his style and, I, and substances. Huge I don't know numbers of people who are just election deniers, open election right. deniers running. That's right. I mean, the 70% of the party does not believe that the last election was free and fair. And that is a result of what I t- call the Republican triangle of doom which is sort of the toxic and symbiotic relationship between the right-wing infotainment media, the voters, and elected officials. Because for a while, it was just Trump saying it, but then right-wing media really leaned into it, and then all the elected officials felt like they needed to say it. And pretty soon, all the voters believed it. Not only that, but it was basically the toll you had to pay to get Trump's endorsement in 2022 in all of these races. And that's, you know, that saddled us with a whole bunch of candidates now some of whom are poised to win, mm-hmm. uh, who are election deniers. Right. I, I want to play a clip from one of your episodes that sort of cuts in a different direction than this part of the conversation. You held a focus group with their swing voters in Georgia a few weeks ago. Uh, and listeners, that a reminder that Georgia is very likely uh, to decide control of the Senate. And, you know, that's the race between Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock. And both gubernatorial candidates are big figures in the national conversation. So this is a really important state. Anyway, listen to how some of Sarah's swing voters, so again, people who voted Trump in 2016, Biden in 2020, how they talk about Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock. 
One thing that I do like that he does is he's not a strict Democrat. He does go across the party lines a lot if he believes in the cause. And I think that's a very positive quality of a politician. Etiquette-wise, he's very approachable. But I don't know as far as rubber meeting the road that he goes across the aisle too much. I'm just feeling like he's followed suit with the Democrat agenda through and through on Biden and other things, but he has done a good job going out to uh, Georgia businesses. And uh, I've seen some press releases about him visiting and taking the time out to look into specific needs in certain industries and stuff. And in that case, I would say he's done a great job. I feel like Raphael, he just, he's done well. And I feel like he holds himself pretty well and he's good with debates, you know, but I also feel like that there's always like some sort of trap right? That everyone's kind of getting caught in between. So I don't know. I, I am more always like leaning towards Warnock, but I also did, you know, vote for Trump. So Sarah, these voters point to another one of like the big takeaways, I think, from your months and months of focus groups here, uh, which is that we may truly see a lot of ticket splitting, this time around. And this is one of those things that uh, people talk about that strategy, political, you know, in political media, we hear about ticket splitters, but as I gather, it's actually not something that happens very often. Um, And you're hearing from people in Georgia and in other races, but let's talk about Georgia for a second, that this is likely that there will be people who will vote for the Republican governor, gubernatorial candidate and the, uh, and the democratic senatorial candidate. What's going on here? Yeah. So, uh, that Georgia group, the whole group was going to vote for Brian Kemp, the Republican governor. And everybody but one guy, and that guy was like very unsure, uh, was going to vote for Warnock. Uh, and so this is actually happening in states across the country. And and like you said, the reason that it doesn't happen uh, as often as it used to is a lot of it's because of the polarization um, you know, people are just more tribal. And so there's a little less of the, why well, just vote for the best candidate? Like you just don't hear that quite as much anymore. But what's happening in these states now is you have, you know, these re- really like bad can't like Republicans have a real candidate quality issue because of the people that Donald Trump um, sort of pulled across the finish lines in the primaries. And so, you know, they, in this, in Georgia's case, then there were, there were three black women in this group. Uh, I'll say, and they were not voting for Stacey Abrams. And mm. some of it's just the incumbency bias where they said, that guy's fine. You did a good job on COVID. And I like Brian Kemp fine. Uh, and then, but they were like horrified by Herschel Walker, um, you know, just too much baggage, too much craziness, too many scandals. Uh, and so, but this is also happening in like place like Pennsylvania, where you've got a governor's race between Josh Shapiro, um, the Democrat and Doug Mastriano. Doug Ma- uh, Mastriano is one of these like, maybe the scariest candidate on the ballot Not as radical uh, as it gets as radical as it gets. Um, he was at January 6th. He like breached the lines on January 6th. He paid to bus people to January 6th. Um, and Josh Shapiro is actually well-known in the state. He's the AG. People really like him. So he is likely, so there's a bunch of people in the groups that are Josh Shapiro voters, uh, but they are going to vote for Oz, the swing voters, you know, and part of it is that Oz to them is one of the, they don't like him. Negatives are high. They don't trust him but they sort of want to vote for a Republican somewhere Mm -hmm. and they feel like he's safe enough. But the other place that it's happening in a big way is Ohio, which doesn't get as much attention. But right now, Tim Ryan 
is picking up at least 17 percent of DeWine voters, who is their Republican uh, governor in Ohio, who's going to cruise to victory here in 20 uh, re-election. But Ryan is picking up a ton of DeWine voters and also, I think, Trump voters. uh, And he's running very close with J.D. Vance. It's one of the few, I think, real bright offensive spots uh, for Democrats right now. And then there's even a weird one where in Arizona, uh, Mark Kelly is the incumbent Democratic senator. People are kind of like, he's okay. Blake Masters has been gaining on him. But like people like him fine, again, incumbency bias. But they're going to vote for Carrie Lake, the Republican insane uh, person who's a big election denier. And so to have, there's like some Lake Kelly voters, which is, I think, one of the most surprising split tickets I've heard about. And But I mean, you know, so that's a lot of facts that, that have come at us. But the like the point is that, well, let me suggest a point. Is the point that this is, we're, we're at a more... We hear so much about the nationalization of all local politics. Is this a, is this a hopeful sign um, that in this election, actually, a lot of these races are, in fact, local, that people care about what's happening in their state? I, I would love to take it as a hopeful sign because that's a good <laughs> optimistic thing to do. Unfortunately, I think it's a negative sign about how bad the candidates are on the Republican side, uh-huh. that there's a bunch of sort of Republican there's a bunch of Republican governors and whatnot that people are fine with. Uh, but the Republican Senate candidate is too much. Yeah. I would also they say they wouldn't otherwise be splitting their ticket. They would be they wouldn't otherwise be splitting yeah. their ticket. Uh, yeah. I think that if there was a Republican governor in the offing that was sort of a normal uh, style, like a, if there was a, a DeWine style for Pennsylvania, um, yeah, Republicans would be going for them. And and this is, but this is actually the bigger macro story. Republicans should be crushing these midterms. They should be running away with it. House, Senate governor's races, inflation super high, Biden's not popular, taxes are, um, gas has been expensive. Like there's a million reasons why Republicans should be cruising to just uh, a shellacking and they're not. And the reason they're not is the candidate quality, uh, like plain and simple. Let's go to some calls here. Let's go to Scott in Union County, New Jersey. Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up guys? How are you today? We are good. What, what are you, what's on your mind, Scott? First, a quick question, then a detailed observation. Uh, the uh, focus group, you mentioned you try to persuade voters. Are you doing a non-biased pers- focus group, or is it totally focused on trying to get voters to vote Democratic? No. So this is, and this was the question that was being asked earlier. You said you're so clinical. And I said, that's because I'm I'm not trying to persuade anybody in a focus group. In a focus group, I'm just trying to understand them. But in my, in then I go out into the world and I do create ads and campaigns to think about how to persuade similar types of voters. But in the groups, I am only trying to learn. And to be clear, sir, you're also, we're talking, talking about what you're, you're supporting a rate, a range of political candidates by party, um, but your your effort is to support pro democracy candidates. Pro democracy candidates. So we did. A, we helped. There were Republicans. We helped in the um, primaries who were much better than their opponents. Um, and then now we're trying to defeat a bunch of anti democracy Republicans. Right. So just for time, I'm going to move on to the next call, Scott. But thank you. Let's go to Asa in Niantic, Illinois. Is am I pronouncing that right? Yeah. Awesome. That's right. Welcome to the show, Asa. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I, I like to listen in and, and see what all you guys have to say. Um, you know, we're kind of a small area here, but, I, you know, I feel like a lot of people around me are really just getting disgusted and frustrated that it's just been, you know, years of pessimism and years of 
frustration over elections and where things are going. And do you have any insight as to, like, do you think things are going to turn around and, and people are going to feel any positive direction about um, our political choices in the future? Or is this really kind of the direction that we're going to be headed for quite some time? Thank you for that. I mean, I, I, I that's a good question, right? Like, as somebody who's talking to voters all the time, like, is this a death spiral we're in? Or? No, I love that question because I don't think we're in a death spiral. Again, people are good. And here's the problem. Uh, so I never, I, I rarely blame voters. I blame elected officials for working actively to lie to people, to divide people. Um, I think one of the reasons that Biden was able to kind of get over the line was because he ran on kind of a, a unifying message. And I think one of the frustrations is that people wanted us to be more unified by this point. I, you hear uh, so much frustration in the groups about how divided we are. Um, but honestly, here's here's what I think pulls us out of it. And that's leadership. We are going to have to have somebody who comes along and says, hey, guys, it doesn't have to be this way. Like who who presents an optimistic vision for America, who talks about why we are already great, the great things we've done, the great things we could be. Um, and I don't know which party that's going to come from, but I do think that if we keep going in this vortex of backlashes, well, like I can be terrible because they're terrible. I mean, I see this all the time with the Herschel Walker, where people are like, well, yeah, he's paid for some abortions and he didn't raise his children, but what about Bill Clinton? And as long as we're whatabouting all the time, mm -hmm. like somebody's got to present an affirmative, positive vision for America uh, that I do think can can bring us back. Because I do think there's a big hunger for it. Like people are hungry. People don't want to live like this. No, people are tired. People are tired. Part of the, I think, you know, uh, pessimism of the moment is that we're all tired of it. Like we're just, we're, we're all tired. Let's go to Chris in Westerfield, in Weatherfield, Connecticut. Chris, welcome to the show. Yeah, hi. What is distressing me is that I would like to hear more about the uh, candidates' proposed solutions and, you know, discussion about solutions and debate about solutions. You know, it's a, a lot of fun to talk about the horse race and who's doing what in the polls and what little tactics they're having, but it's the solutions mm -hmm. that count. And uh, I agree with one of your other callers. Um, we need to recognize leaders. Part of recognizing a leader is to understand how they can solve problems, to see what their critical thinking uh, is, to be on the world stage as the you know president of the United States of America. Thank you for that, Chris. I is that, in fact, something you hear in the focus groups, Sarah, that people want solutions? I mean, it, there's this is one of those things where it's like we say we want uh, healthy food, but we eat a lot of junk food, you know. Um, but but do you hear that in your focus groups? Yeah, I would say the parties are kind of different in this regard. Um, I would say Democrats tend to be much more focused on policy. Uh, and like specific things, like you get a lot of people that are like, well, we should be doing this on the environment or we should be doing this on energy. Um, on the Republican side, uh, I would say there's much. Oh, I think we've lost Sarah for a second. Let's see. Do we have Sarah back to say goodbye? We do not. So. Sarah Longwell is the publisher of The Bulwark and host of the podcast, The Focus Group. Uh, we thank her for coming back on the show. It's always great to check in with her and hear, you know, 
what some of these voters are telling us. And listeners, like I said, if we didn't get to your calls, we still want to hear from you. You can leave us a voice note right on our website. Just go to notesfromamerica.org and find the record button uh, and tell us what you're thinking as we go into this election. Notes from America is a production of WNYC Studios. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts or on both Instagram and Twitter at Notes with Kai. Our live engineer was Matthew Mirando, mixing and music by Jared Paul. Our team also includes Karen Frillman, Regina Dehir, Vanessa Handy, Rahima Nasa, Kusha Navadar, and Lindsay Foster-Thomas. And I am Kai Ray. Thanks for spending time with us. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex of bugs. (laughs) Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radiolab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know wherever you get your podcasts.